The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. So Mahatma Gandhi, <clears throat> Mahatma Gandhi was born on October 2nd, 1869 in Porabander, India, and so began a life that would change the history of his country and the world for the better. After studying law, Gandhi famously advocated for the rights of Indians, ultimately becoming Bapu, the father of the Indian independence movement. But his nonviolent activism reached far beyond his homeland, becoming a global call for the oppressed all over the world to unite and stand up for freedom and justice through peaceful protests. So Gandhi has been known to be one of the most influential people of all time. Uh, if you know who I'm talking about, is this guy Gandhi. He's Indian. Um, he's got some, some quotes that are pretty uh, popular. One of his quotes says, the greatness of humanity is not being human, but in being humane. Also, he's been known to say, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others, or a man is but the product of his thoughts, what he thinks he becomes, uh, this one, he says, change yourself, you are in control. So Gandhi's approach was to be as good of a person as you could possibly, possibly be, and that, in effect, would change the world. Now, this is an interesting approach, right? Because when we think about our society today, and we think about where our world is, it would make logical sense that to just be a good person and think good thoughts towards other people would be the fix for a lot going on. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, if everybody in the world could just be good and be a good person, then the world would be a much better place, is the argument. And the reason I think that this way of thinking or living for that matter is interesting because not only did Gandhi teach this uh, several generations ago, but it has even become somewhat of a teaching within the Christian church, right? Uh, that um, being a good person and being in control of, of, uh, of, of, of good things we do has reached even this Christian thought. Change yourself, you are in control. That's what Gandhi said. So here are some similar quotes from some influential, prominent Christian leaders of today. Uh, you don't have to necessarily preach the sermon you don't have to argue doctrine. Try and make them believe what you believe. Just be good to them. Friends, being good to people is better than preaching a sermon. Uh, or here's another one. I've learned that when I'm good to other people, God will then be good back to me. Uh, when you're good to people and when you meet a need, and you become a miracle. When you become a miracle, God will make sure that you get paid back. Your gifts, your generosity, your kindness will come back to you. So what does it mean to be a good person? Or within the context of the application here today, to do good, right? What does it mean to do good? Just do good. Just be good. Just be a good person. Just do good. You hear that a lot. And as we've just read from secular humanists and even from certain preachers, it seems that this is an easy achievement to choose goodness over not doing what's good right? That it's just this switch inside of you 
that if you are a humane person, if you are somebody who has good thoughts, then really all you have to do is be good. And it could be said that, and I think everybody would agree on this point, that it's better to be good than it is to be bad. Would you agree with that? That it is better to be good than it would be to be bad. Now, we know this is a lot easier said than done, right? We can say all day long until we're blue in the face, we want to be good, but it's a lot easier said than done. Now, why is that? Why is it so hard to do good? Or why is it so hard to do the right thing, right? Have you ever thought about that question? Have you ever said to yourself, you know, self, I really want to do good, and I really want to be good, but the harder I try to be good, the worse it seems to get. I try, and I try, and I try to do the right thing, and it seems like the more I try to do the right thing, the more I dig this hole that I'm in of not being good. This is what we call the battle between the spirit and the flesh. The battle between the spirit and the flesh. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be. We'll start in uh, verse 18. Romans chapter 7 is right after the book of Acts. Uh, Verse 18 is where we'll begin. If you don't have a Bible this morning, um, and it's fine if you have it on your phone or whatever, but if you don't have a physical Bible, there's one right there in the pew in front of you. Uh, You can grab that. If you don't have a Bible, period, then you are free to take that home with you. That's our gift uh, to you this morning. If you need a Bible, just go ahead and take that one. Um, Now, Romans chapter 7 verse 18, and we're going to read through to verse 24. And it says, For I consider that the sufferings uh, of this present... I'm sorry, chapter 7. I'm in chapter 8. Okay. Chapter 7, 18. says, uh, for, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So, I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil uh, is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? As you read through the book of Romans, if you never have, I highly suggest reading through the book of Romans and do so with a commentary with it because it can get very deep. And you can miss certain things as you go through if you're not really understanding what you're reading. But when you read these verses for the first time, you almost have to read them over and over because it can be a a bit confusing if you don't quite understand it, right? So we'll go through a little bit of theological context before we get into the application of what we're actually trying to say this morning because it needs to build the stage for what Paul is talking about here. Now, everybody knows who Paul is by this point in the Christian walk, and he is the one who, through halfway through Acts, just started uh, doing great things for God because God called him to do it. And he has written over half of the New Testament that we have in right now. And so when you get to this part of Romans, you almost start to think like, wait, Paul? 
not Paul. You know, Paul can't be going through this type of stuff. It sounds like he just can't get it right. So Paul writes this book to the Roman church, just for a little bit of backdrop, uh, probably somewhere around A.D. 55, 57, somewhere in through there. He gets to Corinth. He writes to the Roman church. He's trying to get to Spain. Paul then gives this masterful, masterful understanding of the doctrine and theology all throughout the book of Romans. He goes from who God is and what God has made and what God has created and who man is through the eyes of God. And he goes through all these things very beautifully as he gets through uh, the book of Romans. He writes to this church because he's never been there before. Okay, so, so the book of Romans or the church in Rome actually was established by non-apostolic uh, 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 presence. In other words, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't John, James, or Paul. None of them established the church in Rome. And Rome is way far away. So what's really cool about that is most likely when, uh, this, remember when they dispersed, when God says, hey, go to all the world that didn't go, God brought persecution and they dispersed, most likely is one of those Christians who had established this church in Rome or churches in Rome, and Paul's writing to them. And the recipients of this, is that me? And the recipients of this letter would be Jewish, they'd be Greek, right? They'd be Gentiles. There's all types of people living in Rome. It's like a melting pot. Think of a New York City, okay? You go to New York City, there's going to be some Jewish people there, actually big Jewish communities. There's going to be some Korean communities. There's probably going to be some Italian communities. This is the idea in Rome. And as he's writing to these people, he's telling them different things for Jewish people and different things for Gentile people. Now, as a whole, they all have to understand, they all get it as a whole. But sometimes he just relates to Jews, sometimes he just relates to Gentiles. So as we get to chapter 7, Paul has just recently discussed how we've been made alive through Christ and we're no longer under the old law, the Mosaic law, but we are now under the umbrella of grace, right? We have died to sin and we are now alive in Christ. And the reason this is important is because as the Jewish people are interpreting this new Christianity, some of them are trying to attach the old Mosaic law with them to, to make them better Christians. And Paul says, that's not the deal here. You, by you following the law, that won't save you. The law is useless to you in, as a matter of salvation, right? So in other words, think of it, rules, regulations, a follow chart of what to do and what not to do. He says, you can do that all day long, but it's not going to save you. So then in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God uh, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. So you, you are no longer under the bondage of sin. You have been set free through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and you now live under the umbrella of grace and not the law. That is something to be very excited about because nobody could keep the law, right? As we read in Paul throughout the whole New Testament, he says, you can't keep the law, you can't do it. And if you can't keep 100% of the law, then you fail to keep the law, period. And so Paul uh, needs to explain himself to those who have been following the law previous to their conversion to Christ, Jewish converts. That's why he begins chapter 7 with saying, since I am speaking to those who know the law, right? Now, 
stay with me here because it's going to get important. He's, he's, he is uh, contrasting, comparing and con- contrasting the law, what the law is and what you should do, and your ability to follow the law to be good. Okay, this is his contrast. And so Paul argues that this is not what the law was intended for, okay? You cannot find righteousness through the law because the law has no power to, to, to infuse you with righteousness. Paul says quite the opposite. The law exists to show you that you are a sinner. Paul says, I wouldn't even have known I was a sinner if it wasn't for the law. In other words, uh, you, you have the law there, and because the law says do not do, then that reflects on you that you do, and you say, oh, man, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's what the law is there for. It shows you how wrong you are, but it has no power to save you from the wrong that you are doing. Are you hanging with me? The law cannot save you nor give you the power to change. The law just shows you how bad you are off. So uh, it reveals sins and technically can do no good for such sins. So you try and you try as hard as you can to keep the law, but the law cannot help you it, and, and, and it is not capable of doing this. Here's where he starts to turn the corner on this. Think about what he's saying. He says, I myself try and try to do these things which I know are good. I know the law is good. I know that God established this law for good, but the harder I try, the less I seem to be able to do it. And this argument that Paul is making when we get to verse 18 is that there has to be another form of will to do good because the law has no power to change you from doing wrong. The the law can't will you to do right. And Paul says, there's got to be another will. There's got to be a will that helps you to not do the things you know you shouldn't do. And so if we can find no power in the law to do what is good, then naturally we look within, correct? Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, pull up by the bootstraps or, you know, you just got to give it all you got and, and, and find that inner self, you know, the inner lion, or that's like a big one right now. Find the inner lion to like get you there, right? And, and this is where we find Paul's statements puzzling. Look at verse 18 again. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, I dare to say that Paul is probably the most influential Christian to walk the face of this earth. Right? I mean, he's not my favorite apostle. That would be Peter, just because I have so much in common with Peter. I'm kind of fly off the handle sometimes. But none of that, all that aside, Paul, <laughs> he's a really good apostle. Not my favorite, but, uh, but no one, uh, it, it would be hard-pressed to find anybody today that walks as Paul walked. Would that be true, a statement? Uh, to, to be the type of Christian with the total abandonment as Paul It would be hard-pressed to find that person like that today. And so the struggle is real. So why does he say these things as if he himself could not control himself from doing bad and doing to do good with his life? So why why does Paul say this? Like, like Paul just doesn't get it, right? Well, let's clarify a bit what Paul's not saying here, okay? Paul is not saying that there is never a time when he ever does good. That's not what Paul is trying to say here. Okay, uh, this is not a confession Paul is making, but an observation on the condition 
of mankind that is in effect sin. Okay? Let me repeat that. This is not a confession by Paul, uh, but rather an observation of mankind and the human condition that is sin. Will Timmons writes a real good book. The whole book is on Romans chapter 7 and how Paul uses the I uh, when he says, I can do no good and all this stuff. And Will Timmons argues it is Paul using the I as an us, we, mankind. That's what he's trying to say here. Okay? And there have been a recent influx. I say recent, but there's been an influx of people who use these passages as justification for carnal Christianity. And this is why I want us to understand the I here that Paul is talking about refers to mankind, humankind. All of us, all together, can do no good, right? As, as it appoints to being good on our own, okay? Uh, but there's been this kind of justification for carnal Christianity, okay? If you don't know what that means, it pretty much describes a person who professes Christianity but lives the rest of like the rest of the world, okay? Carnal Christianity would say, I'm a, quish, I'm a Christian, quote unquote, but I'm gonna live like the rest of the world and do all the things the world does. And there are people who point to this passage and say, you see here, even Paul knew what it was to experience Christianity in a carnal form. Don't judge me because Paul too struggles just like I struggle. And, and there have been other people who kind of take this passage kind of as their, their, their life message, right? Oh, I'm just always going to do bad. I'm never going to be able to do good. And because Paul also struggled with it, I can find some comfort there. This is not at all what this passage is saying, okay? Just let me clear this up right now. Nothing could be further from the truth of that, okay? You are not meant to live in defeat as a Christian always. There, that's not the way it works, okay? Because Christ is victorious, you are victorious in Christ. That's what Paul would say. Now, Paul is not confessing that he's never done what's right no matter what, he, okay, no matter how hard he tries, but that man in general can do no right, can do nothing right or good on their own, right? For I know, verse 18, that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh, so how do we reconcile this with what Gandhi and some of our prominent day preachers are saying, right? Uh, just do good. If Paul, on the one hand, is saying, nothing good lives in me. I can't do good. And Gandhi and other preachers say, no, 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 just do good. Be better at doing good. And Paul's like, you can't do good. And they're like, well, yeah, just do good. It's like, but I can't. I can't do good. It just, it doesn't live there. It doesn't exist. Just be a good person and things will get better. That's what they say. God, God will repay you. You just have nothing, you know, you just have to do the right thing. Change yourself. You are in control is what Gandhi said. And Paul is saying the complete opposite. I can't do good. I can't change myself. It does, there, that doesn't exist, right? Look at what Paul's saying. You and I have no capability of doing good on our own because we still live in this body, which is the flesh. Are you with me? As we live on this earth, we live in the flesh, which is the body, which keeps us from being able to drum up that goodness within ourselves because it's tainted with sin. Romans 7, 14, just before that, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave under sin. Now, 
Just for clarification, Paul's spirit is no longer in bondage and sin. He's been set free. But his flesh, he will remain in it until the day he dies and gets a glorified body with Christ, right? And so he says, as this body here on earth is sold as a slave under sin. And Gandhi and all these so-called preachers would be dead wrong. Biblically speaking, they would be dead wrong. You cannot drum up the willpower to do good on your own because your flesh belongs to sin and sin will rise up in you every single time. Listen to me. Sin will rise up in you every single time because of your flesh. Because of your flesh, right? Now, it's important to remember, just like I said, with the caveat that that. Our spirit has been freed from the bondage of sin through Christ Jesus if we are saved. But we live in this body of flesh that desires constantly to do what the flesh does, and that's sin. Your body will always desire to sin. You want to sin. You like to sin. Sin makes you feel good, right? That's why when Jesus says in Matthew... 26, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why? Because your flesh wants to do wrong, always. And, and we sometimes, I included, we, we, we lie to ourselves and say, I don't want to do that thing that I always run back to do. And that's a lie because you do want to do the thing that you always run back to do because your flesh is pulling you that way. Does that make sense? Uh, I joke a lot up here about being on a diet, right? I can never, it never really works for me because I want to eat donuts, okay? Donuts, cookies, the pies with the, like, apple stuff inside, that's really good stuff. And, like, uh, what is it, quinoa? Is that what you called it, Gabby? Quinoa and, I don't know, the other stuff, celery, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not speaking to me, okay? celery does not speak to me quinoa doesn't make my heart feel warm all right come thanksgiving i'm probably gonna down two pumpkin pies all by myself because i made them but anyways so so think about it this way inside of me okay yes i know i need to probably lose weight and i need to work out and do better but that's not drawing me because i don't like it Okay, it's hard work, right? Uh, Daniel Lamentz probably gets up like at four in the morning to go work out at CrossFit and stuff, and that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's not me, right? Like, it's not drawing me, okay? What's drawing me is like a little trail of Debbie, little Debbies, and like, <laughs> right? All the way up to whatever's bad. And when you think about it that way, that is sin in our lives, okay? That is sin in our lives because the things that we know we shouldn't do, we constantly run back to it, okay? Whether it's being in that relationship that God doesn't want us to be in, whether that's having an addiction to pornography or whatever the case is, and no matter how guilty you feel afterwards, you are going to run to that sin because it is a part of your flesh. And that's what Paul is saying. Your flesh, not you, not your spirit, your flesh is in bondage 
okay, is in bondage to this world, to this physical world that we live in, and there's no getting away from that, okay, until you no longer have this flesh and you have a glorified body and are found perfect in Christ Jesus, which is not yet. Could we agree with that? And so he says, you can't do it. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19. Jesus said it. From the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimony, and slanders. We always want to blame the devil, right? I remember growing up and hearing like a preacher saying like, that devil comes and he like brings that sin to, your, to the front of your face and you can't resist it. No, 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 no. The devil draws it out. Okay, the sin is in your heart is what Jesus says. Because your heart is of the flesh, that's where the sin lives. And when you feed the flesh and when you are a slave to the flesh, the sin just flows freely. Think about what Paul's saying here in the flesh. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says. Listen. Paul is a man just like you and me, or person, man and woman, just like us, okay? This is who Paul is. And Paul struggles just like we do. And even though it's not a confession, this is, Paul knows it all too well. That when you try as hard as you can to defeat the flesh with the flesh, you will lose. When you try to defeat the flesh with the flesh, you will lose ten times out of 10. Paul recognizes that there is no intrinsic good buried in your body. It does not exist. This is why we have to crucify the flesh to be resurrected by Jesus one day. Look at Galatians 5:24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the idea that we can somehow find this goodness deep down inside of us is an unbiblical doctrine that the Bible disagrees with. To say that you have some kind of self-worth deep down inside of you that is just good and it needs to come out, okay, is incorrect according to what Paul just said here. You have no good inside of you because you're of the flesh, and because the flesh is going to desire sin every single time, that's its nature, okay? That is its nature. It can't desire good. You have no worth inside that's good. Paul wrote it in Romans 3, right? What does he say? As it is written, there is no one righteous. No one does good. No one seeks after God, right? That's what Paul says. We are all Doomed according to sin because nobody searches God and does good. There is no one righteous, no one good. Paul says, when I try from the inside to make things better, they will always get worse because I do not have the power to change anything just like the law. Just like he's, he's contrasting the law, right? As the law, they look at the law, and the law has no power to change them. He says the law of man has no power to change the spiritual either. And this is why legalism doesn't work. Right? This is why legalism doesn't work. Because I can give you a list, 
that says, hey, Christian, don't do X, Y, Z ever. And you can say, good, I won't. And there's my list that Julian gave to me, so I won't do it. But then when X, Y, Z pops up in your heart, okay, the list can do nothing for you. The list can show you not to do it. But the flesh inside of you says, yes, do it. And Paul says, if I, am, if I am of the flesh and I live in the flesh here on this earth and I'm of the flesh and I see the law and the law is good and I try to make myself have all these legalistic boundaries, even me in the flesh, I can't do it. I can't drum it up because I am flesh and my nature won't go against my nature. That's why we're to have a new creation. That's who we're to be. Not the old person, but a brand new creation. Why do you think it's so hard when we want to do the right thing and start doing better in our walk and we can't seem to do it? Right? Have you ever been there? And you say, you know what? Golly, I really need to, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to be more consistent in going to church. And I need to bring my family to church. And then we get on this like, Really good kick, right? I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to stop cussing, and I'm going to stop doing all these things that lead me away from God's grace, and, then, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm really going to do it. And then we get a week into it, or two weeks into it, and the, the flesh starts calling us back, right? The flesh just starts calling us back. Oh, but you got to go on vacation. You know, you got you to do this. You got to do that. Or you've had a bad day. You've got to cuss. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And, we, and, and now... Now, because all it was was a list of things we know we needed to do, it had no power to make us do it. That's what Paul says. The struggle is real, is it not? The struggle is real. That's right, Gabe. So what's the, so what's, what's the solution? What's, what's the solution here of defeating the will of the flesh? As Paul writes, who can rescue me from this body of death? You know, if you, if you just leave it there, that's a pretty sad existence, right? Like if I were to be like, all right, let's pray. The band's going to play, close the Bible. It's like, you, you, you're no good. I'm no good. We all suck and let's go home. You know, like, that would be horrible. <laughs> but aren't you glad God doesn't leave us hanging to fend for ourselves? That's a, good, that's a good day right there, right? That God doesn't leave you to fend for yourself. Aren't you glad that God has provided a way for you and me? He provided the way. Listen, that's why when Paul's writing and he says, so no man can boast, it's because we didn't do anything. God did it. God sent his son. God who filled us with his Holy Spirit. God is the one who helps us to defeat the flesh, and we don't do any of it. It's all God so that we can't say, look at what I did. And that's, that's, that's kind of the premise of what Paul is saying. I can't do it. I can't boast. Why? Because in the flesh, every time I try to do what's good, I look at the law and I see that I need to do it. I know I got to go to church. I know I got to pray. I know I got to read my Bible. And then the, the harder I try, the more sin I actually end up doing. Have you ever been there? I've been there. That the harder you try even to do the spiritual things, it seems like you fell so much deeper into the stuff that you didn't want to be in. You did good for so long, you think, and you feel so ashamed after you've done whatever the sin is. 
But look at what Paul says in the very next chapter. And this is where it gets really good, okay? This is where it gets really good. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And he gives you this caveat. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So just as a quick, it's not even in my notes, but it's in, in a quick Listen, you can't take the ideals of God and the morals that God has instituted and say, that's the key. I'm going to fix my life that way because if the spirit of Christ does not live in you, you don't have it. If the spirit of Christ does not live in you, you don't get to have it, okay? You don't get to use the power from the Holy Spirit and the moral constructs that God has already put together in your uh, lifestyle as a heathen that doesn't work that way. And listen, that's what society that's what society's trying to do, right? That's why you hear, oh, but, you know, we were founded on the Ten Commandments and, oh, you know, all this stuff. That is not going to save us. That's not even going to make us moral. Why? Because we are an immoral people. When we try to bring in the morality of God, they don't, they don't mix. But, Paul says, if the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. He starts it off that way. However, we do. If you call yourself Christian, if you've been saved, if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ, you have this. Now, verse 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Praise God that he has given us a spirit that brings life and brings us a resurrection just like it did Christ and gives us the power to overcome the flesh. That's good news this morning, right? You and I are not on our own. You and I trying to do good, we are not on our own. God, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, conquered the flesh. And when we are in the spirit, the flesh weakens. This is how we solve the dilemma of the human condition. We rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work that we ourselves can never do. We rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work that we ourselves could never do. Now, I'm going to close with this. It could be argued, and I guess it has been argued, that you've tried and tried to do what is right, even doing the things that would seem to be spirit-led. I think there would be just everybody in this room would raise our hands to say, yeah, we've, we've gone that route, right? Like, uh, read the Bible more, and pray more often, and come to church on a consistent basis. Maybe even getting involved in small groups or a Bible study. And I would agree I would agree that people with good intentions have tried and failed at attempting to do some of the spirit-led things. So why does this happen, okay? If we say, rely on the spirit, the things of the spirit are just like this, relating to God through prayer and reading his Bible and being one with the body, coming to church, and you say, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I've tried to do that. I've been coming 
I've been coming for years. I've been coming for months. I've been really trying to do these spirit-led things right. Why, why do I just seem to fail all the time? Look back at a very significant, important part of chapter 8, and it's right there in verse 18. Chapter 8, sorry, not verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's repeat that and think about it for a second. I put 18, but it's actually 13. It's a typo. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. An old Cherokee was teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside of me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humanity, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the same fight is going on inside of you and inside of every person too. And the grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked the grandfather, Grandfather, which wolf will win? And the Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Now, this is an old tale told many different ways, but I want to take you back to the Bible, to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 8, where it first appeared, okay? Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Okay? The problem is, here's the problem. Here's the solution, okay? The problem is we want to have our cake and eat it too. Here's the problem. We want to do all the spiritual stuff and the spirit-led goodness offered to us by God. We want to hold hands with Jesus and walk with him. And then at the same time, we want to hold hands and walk with sin. Now, if you haven't heard anything I've said this morning, listen to this part because it's the most important. We struggle even doing the spirit-led things because we do not rid ourselves of the sin that we are enjoying while we're trying to do the struggle. Okay? In other words, yes, we say, you know what? I realize and I understand that the spirit-led understanding of, of doing what is good is being in prayer with God every day and reading my Bible and going to church and getting involved. And I, and I see that that's good and I see that that works. And I want to do that. 
and, and now I'm going to commit myself to doing that. And so you put a reminder on your Bible app and, and you make sure you come to church and to Sunday school. However, at the same time, you remain in that relationship that God doesn't want you to be in. And then at the same time, you remain to, to drink and drink and party with your friends and feel bad afterwards. And then you come to church. And do you get the cycle here that you want to keep the sin? You want to eat all the cake and, and, and work out and act like it's going to do something for you. And Paul says here, right, in Romans 8, 13, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. You cannot have your cake and eat it too and be where God wants you to be. Do you understand that this morning? That if you are going or I am wanting to continue to sin and not stop that sin, then I will continue to struggle just like Paul said in Romans 7. I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And I'm going to look at the law, and I'm going to look at all the spirit-led things, and I'm going to say, why isn't it working? It just keeps getting worse. But it's because we don't let go of the things that God has already commanded us to let go of. And it's not until, it's not until we lay down the sin that we can allow the power of the Spirit to rule over our lives. Because you cannot serve two masters is what the Bible says. So if you want to remain in sin, if you want to keep doing the things that you do that leads you away from God, then understand that it is a losing battle. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible or you pray. If you don't let go of the sin, you're going to lose because you're feeding the flesh and you're feeding the flesh and you're feeding the flesh and the flesh keeps growing and growing and growing and it, it doesn't give any room for the spirit to work. And so Paul says, hey, here's the dilemma, right? Chapter seven, I'll really try to do good and, I'm gonna, and, and in my flesh, even looking at the law, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and I'm going to fail every time. I'm actually going to fail worse than, than if I wouldn't have tried. With my flesh, remaining in sin, doing the things that I know God doesn't approve of, I'm going to fail. However, however, the good news that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you put, if, that word if is important. If you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then the Spirit can abound in you and you will live. Well, isn't that where we want to be? Isn't that where we want to be to where we lead spirit-filled lives to where we no longer have to be under this weight of sin and under the weight of feeling guilty and feeling bad for the things that we've done and, and we don't want any of our friends to know about. But, but if we lay that down and allow God's spirit to move in us, that's where the power is. That's where the power to change your life, to change my life, the power to advance the gospel, the power to go out and to be a witness, right? Because all that is encompassed in this right here. That we argue or we talk about being a witness, be a witness, go make disciples. And, and if we live in the background sinning over here and never getting rid of sin, then we're going to feel unqualified to go and tell anybody else about cleaning their life and coming to Jesus Christ. Or not cleaning their life, but allowing God to fix their life. And so it all comes down to, are we willing to let go of the sin that is holding us back to then allow the Spirit of God to do the work in your life? Maybe this morning, you're here, 
and you haven't made that decision to surrender to Jesus, right? Maybe you've been coming. Maybe there's been this thought process in your head of, you know, weighing it all out. Here's, here's the formula right here. That on your own, you're powerless. On your own, your life will continue to look as insignificant as you think it is. You'll have no purpose or no meaning in life at all. But when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit that is drawing us, that is drawing us towards him to take rule in our lives, that's when things can change. And that's when things change for us as Christians. So we have a decision this morning. Are we going to continue to live in sin, secretly even, and still trying to like, you know, walk with Jesus but live in sin? It's not going to work. Now, this doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. Don't, don't misunderstand me because some theological bends go that route, right? It means you're never going to sin again and blah, blah, blah. But that, the, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says you will sin because you live in the flesh. But the more you put off that sin, the more you can allow room for God to do his work in your life. Because your willpower isn't getting any stronger. You don't have willpower. But the spirit-led power gets stronger and stronger the closer you get. Let's pray. Every head bow, every eyes closed. Um, we're going to do just like we usually do. The band's going to come up. They're going to sing a song. There are going to be people on the sides with lanyards who you can come and talk to if you need prayer. And maybe, maybe you just got to figure this out this morning, right? Maybe you're a Christian and you say, you know what? I do struggle all the time and it doesn't seem to get any better. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to whether where you're sitting or to come to these altars to say, God, I want to rid myself of the sin that I've been committing against you today. I would always like to think of this altar as a dump ground, a landfill full of waste. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those sins that are on your shoulders, that are on your chest, that you know you shouldn't need to be doing, come get forgiveness right now from Jesus Christ at these altars or where you're sitting this morning. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you want to know more about that, if you want to know what we're talking about here, being saved and surrendered and everything, I really would like to encourage you to talk to one of these people with lanyards, Come find me. Come find Daniel after the service. We'll be there. Because that's the only way you as well will be able to defeat the flesh. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for the work that you've done in our lives, God. We thank you for your spirit, for your Holy Spirit that comes in us, God, and gives us the power to defeat the flesh. And I pray this morning that as we make this decision, Lord, to let loose of the flesh, to let loose of these sins, God, that you would make it obvious in our lives that the Spirit is working, God, that you would give us those victories over the flesh that we so badly need this morning, God. We thank you for who you are, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, grow, Give and go.